going through a series called Gotta Have a Question, um, where we've been kind of asking some, some of the most commonly asked questions when it comes to uh, the Christian life, spirituality, churchianity is what I like to call some of it, some of the big questions. And um, this week we're tackling the question of a new category that's kind of popped on the scene. Uh, it's been around for a while, but it's come back with a vengeance. It's a category called spiritual but not religious. How many of you have ever filled out an application or a survey that had the option of putting in the, uh, do you have a faith category, spiritual but not religious? Anybody? Okay, not too many in here. Most jobs can't ask that. But when you do surveys and stuff, a lot of them have an option now. Instead of saying like, Protestant or Baptist or Islamic, they'll actually have a category that says spiritual but not religious. It's right before the nothing category. <laughs> so right before the nothing box, there's a spiritual but not religious box. And uh, it's not surprising that this category has kind of come on the scene. Um, if I was able to have a sit-down conversation with most of the people in this room, it wouldn't be, I bet most of us would understand why mostly Western culture of the world has come up with a new religion that is not a religion called spirituality. Um, the organized church has made some big mistakes over time. Can we all agree with that? If you do not believe that and you expect us to be perfect, we're going to have a problem. Organized religion has made big mistakes over time. There was a book that came out um, probably about a decade now called Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller. A great book, but there's one part of the book where he's at a very liberal campus up in Oregon. And while he's at this campus, he decides to do a social experiment, and he sets up a confession booth right in the middle of this liberal um, college campus. And naturally, the party scene is going out on a Friday night, and he thinks people are going to come in, or people think they're supposed to go and confess their sins, kind of like a Roman Catholic would. And so people kind of like, you know, I think the first person that went in was drunk and was like, I'm doing it, why not? I'm honest right now, let's go to the confession booth. But when you got into the confession booth, you went in, and Donald Miller was actually dressed like a Catholic priest, and instead of taking confessions, right when the person sat down, he started apologizing for the church. So right when the person sat down and they said, well, I guess this is where I start, he started, and he would say, I want to apologize about the Crusades. There's no, there's no explaining that. I want to apologize for the judgmental attitude the church leaders have given you. I want to apologize for that. I want to apologize for the self-righteousness that you've probably experienced in organized religion. And he just went through this list of apologizing, and he said that people were leaving this booth weeping. Well, he was intoxicated, so that's not a huge jump. <laughs> but we'll just say one of the non-intoxicated ones, and they were leaving weeping because they'd never had somebody come and apologize for these things. Because if you've been, ever been a part of an organized religion, people don't often apologize for what the organization or the institution has done. And I loved it because you can't, you can't look at wickedness and say, no, but if the church did it, it wasn't wickedness. Wickedness is wickedness. Self-righteousness is self-righteousness. Judgmental attitudes and hypocrisy is judgmental attitudes and hypocrisy. You have to call it what it is. Church wasn't meant to be perfect. But over time, it's not surprising that a lot of people have become disillusioned with the church. Whatever church that is, capital C church or a particular denomination, some of you have been burned by one specific church at some point in your life. Whether it was a different religion or if it's the same religion, some of you were at a different church because of what happened in another church. And so it became very common for people to say, you know what, I don't have a whole lot of faith in man's institutions anymore. I like this category where I call myself spiritual, but not really religious. Not really religious. I like this 
thing called God or higher power, but I don't really like the restrictions. I don't really like the rules, because those come from man, right? I don't really like the measurements. I don't like the institution of it. But I do believe there's something more out there. God, higher power, whatever you want to call it. Some people have been saying, you know what, I'm going to take a step and say I'm spiritual. Well, that's not just a little thing anymore. Now it's become a full-on category. It would be categorized a religion if not a religion wasn't in the name. It's actually called SBNR, spiritual but not religious, and it's a full-on category. And recent surveys over the last 10 years have shown that 72% of millennials, which is, I think I'm still technically a millennial, but I'm over 30, like the 18 to 30 kind of age group, 72% now will not attach themselves to a specific institutionalized religion, but they'll, con they'll consider themselves SBNR, spiritual but not religious. They said that more than that, one in five Americans right now in a survey consider themselves SBNR, spiritual but not religious. It's becoming a, a category now where people, they actually, it's not just something internal, it's actually a choice. So what we wanted to do is with so many people, especially those of you in college or high school or with coworkers, especially up in these mountains, you're going to come across a lot of people, and you might be in that category today where you say, I wouldn't really call myself religious, well, neither would I, but I would call myself spiritual, and you might like that kind of category. I like to call it, <coughs> Pastor Shane didn't like this, but I like to call it the Oprah Winfrey religion. <laughs> Just because it's kind of like, I believe what I believe, and you believe what you believe, but in the end, it doesn't really matter as long as you're spiritual. And we're going to talk today about what does that mean? God, am I allowed to be spiritual but not religious? Am I allowed to say, I don't really like the church thing, I don't really like the organized religion thing? Is that an option for me? And I want to kind of take you through some of, the, some of God's word, take you through some of the story of Jesus, take you through some of the things that God has actually spoken, and maybe... We, won't, we might not answer this question perfectly because those words are going to be defined independently by each one of us differently. But I want you to at least know what you're saying when you say those words. And then maybe you can make a better decision as to what category you fit into. Me personally, I believe in Jesus' church. I believe his church is flawed because it's full of people like me. But I still believe in Jesus' church. And I believe that Jesus didn't mess up when he chose his church to be the vehicle that's going to change the world. And it worked. But we're always going to be a little bit flawed. We're always going to be trying and searching. We're always going to be failing. I do secretly pray there's not another crusade on the map anywhere. But we are going to make mistakes. And the church is going to fail us in time. But I still believe in Jesus' church. So let's open up with some prayer. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you that we can come honestly and, and question some things that are in our culture. Question um, some of the big, hot topic um, discussions and dilemmas that face our culture. And this one's not a small one, Lord. This one's not a, a little tiny question. It's a big question. Is it okay to be spiritual but not religious? So Lord, I pray you'd clarify some terms today. Let us know what it is that really means. And then more than that, clarify what your church is for. What this so-called religion was meant to do. And maybe, maybe we can give it another shot and look at it from a different Look at it through your eyes. Look at it with your purposes. So, Lord, we love you. We ask this all in your name. Amen. 
So I'm going to answer this question kind of like we did last week. I'm going to answer this from two perspectives because I feel like these are the best two perspectives when it comes to this question in the sense that I feel like there's two groups of people that would use the term spiritual but not religious. And you might find yourself in one of these, and that's okay. Um, we're just discussing it. The first term, and this is the first blank in your notes, is some people want, they, they think that spirituality should be private and unrestricted. Private and unrestricted. And here's what I mean by that. There was actually a book written about 10 years ago called Spiritual But Not Religious, talking about this new movement that's happening. And he gave some great, I think it's a, it's a non-faith book, it's more of a what, uh, uh, what's going on in society kind of book. And he explained kind of the dilemma behind the SBNR issue that's happening, this new group. And he described it as most people who would consider themselves spiritual but not um, religious, one half of them at least believe it's because they think that spirituality should be private and unrestricted. When I say private, I mean it only has to do with you. It's whatever is happening in your heart, in your mind, in your feelings. This is meaning that, that spirituality is more of the private realm of church, religion, whatever you want to call it. Spirituality is the private realm, is what they say. And that religion is the public realm. Religion is what we do together to show what's going on privately. It kind of sounds good, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, that sounds kind of accurate. The problem is, if through history, religion, the word religion and the word spiritual, meant the same thing. They weren't different. They were synonymous of each other. It, was, it wasn't until organized religion really got a foothold in the world that people started separating these two words so that they mean different things. But originally, they never meant different things. They meant the same thing. Spirituality was the belief that there's more out there than what you can see and feel and touch. Religion meant there was more out there than what you could see and feel and touch. The private realm of, of spirituality, we're going to really discuss towards the end. So I'm going to spend some time talking about the unrestricted. Unrestricted means that I like to experience my religion or my spirituality, whatever you want to call it. I like to do it on my own terms. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying some things in my life are going to be on my terms. And why not religion too? This is why you'll see, if you have a Facebook, you'll see a lot of people posting feeds. And, you know, one day they'll be quoting the Bible, and the next day they'll be quoting Gandhi, and the next day they'll be quoting the Koran, and the next day they're showing pictures. It's kind of like there's really no boundaries anymore, and it's unrestricted. Well, see, this isn't new. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul takes us on a little journey. It's part of his missionary journey, and he shows us that this idea of spirituality Wanting to be private and unrestricted isn't a new thing. If you have your Bibles, open up with me. If not, I'm going to read for you because I'm a reader. But I want to show you, Paul met with a group of people that also believed that spirituality could be done on their own terms. The spirituality was really, or religion, was really kind of more on what you want and what you would like. And I'm going to set the stage a little bit. So Paul's traveling, missionary journey. He hits Athens in Greece. And he goes on to tell them, I see that you're very religious people. Well, the people of Athens had, right now, archaeologists claim that there's like 30,000 gods. There's a god for everything. There's the big gods like the god of weather and the god of fertility. 
Then there's littler gods, like the god of the cow and the god of the rock and the god of the microphone and the god of the dirt. And there's, there's a god for everything. And they would just say, oh, there must be some higher power at work. Let's name it. We're going to call this one Dan. That's the god of Dan. <laughs> hey, water's pretty good, but the water bottle, how would we get the water without the water bottle? Let's call this one the god of Ogwiffer. What do you think? <laughs> and then they would build it a shrine, and they would say, this is where this god dwells. Well, if you went to the center of Athens, there was like a, a place called Mars Hill. And Mars Hill was known as a place where you could visit many of the gods, not all of them, 30,000, okay? That's a lot of gods. Okay, that's, that's like giving every single person in Heber Valley, let's say every one of them's a god. Just every, every single human being, you're all a god. That's how many gods they had. You couldn't visit all of them. Well, as Paul was walking through this place with many, many gods, it was all according to people's own terms. They would just kind of carve their own god or make it out of stone or make it out of gold, and they would say, this is a god. But he found one that actually said, to the unknown god. So he says, oh, so you guys recognize that you probably missed one. I mean, if there was 30,000, it's fair to say I might have missed one. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so let me read with you. I'm going to start actually in verse 24. This is Paul's message to him after he tells him that they have many objects of worship and they're very religious. He says, the God who made the world, oh, I'm sorry, verse 23. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you were ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that we have divine, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God look, overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day that he will judge the whole world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, in a nutshell, Paul's telling them, his message to them was, look, hey, I see you're very religious, spiritual. I see that you've given credit that there's something more out there. In fact, you carved and named and you put Aguifer up on a statue and you, you're worshiping them. That's great. But I also saw that you recognize that there's more that you don't know and I want to show you something. He said the God that, the true almighty God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't have to have anything from you. But he was also not made by you. He was not designed by you. He wasn't carved out of stone by you. He wasn't given his life and breath by you. In fact, he gave you life and breath. In fact, he's the one who designed the universe. In fact, he's the one who put you on the face of the earth in the time that you're at, in the place where you're at, in the hopes that you would find him. He did that. And when we think that spirituality is a solely unrestricted thing, meaning I get to kind of design God according to my own terms... <laughs> What you're doing is you're picking up another one of these idols and you're saying, here's what I think God should look like. And here's what I think God should do. And here's what I think God should want us to worship him. 
Here's what I think, here's what I think, here's what I think. And Paul's message to them was, people, you're very spiritual, but you're worshiping the wrong God. And the God, the true God, you can't carve out of stone. The true God, you can't pick the terms of worship. The true God knows who he is and you don't get to choose it. See, that's the first problem with uh, an unrestricted spirituality is you think that it's okay to serve God on your terms. You think it's okay for you to write a letter to God and say, here's what I'm feeling. I like yoga, I like meditation, and I like the Quran. So let's go ahead and throw those into the religion. I don't care if you like yoga, by the way. I don't care if you like meditation. I think it is weird if you're trusting in the Quran. Completely contradicts the Bible. But, moving on. <laughs> you don't get to say, hey God, I like these three things. So you see, God's word and God's will, God's not a buffet of many gods where you get to pick different elements from each one and say, ah, I like that. Ooh, I don't like this forgiveness thing. Ooh, did you taste that? That love your neighbor thing? <laughs> Put that back. <laughs> it's not a buffet. Unrestricted spirituality will not get you what you want. But I gotta move on. The second one. The second, I would say, category of people that would often consider themselves spiritual but not religious is my category. I love Jesus, but not his church. See, I was raised for most of my life in a church. And I came to the realization one day that I often don't like the church, but I love Jesus. It wasn't like a spirituality thing where I said, I just feel like there's more out there. I did, but I felt like it was in Jesus. And I would read Jesus' teaching and go, I like this Jesus teaching, but I could never reconcile Jesus with the church. Um, this, one, this one confused a lot of people, and I think a lot of people in my generation without really recognizing it, they call themselves spiritual but not religious because in the 80s and 90s, there was this thing that we used to say. Hang with me if you used to say this. Just, just clap your hands, bat your eyes at me, give me some camaraderie. How about this? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. In its purity, that saying is awesome. It's Jesus saying, it's not about this organized religion, it's about knowing me. I absolutely love that. But the problem is when you're raised in church and you're told all the time and you wear the shirt that says it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, then one day after you've been told your whole life that religion is bad because it's not a religion, it's a relationship, one day this new saying comes around and people start actually categorizing themselves as spiritual but not religious. And then we just kind of do the, <laughs> well, I'm not religious because it's not a religion, it's a relationship, so I must be spiritual. And then we go down this rabbit trail where we start to lose a little bit of what it meant to be religious. Religion, like I said, spirituality, according to this guy who wrote the book, which is a good book, spirituality is the private realm. Religion is the public realm, according to this guy. Even though these words mean the same thing, they've, they've changed meanings over time. Religion is the public realm of ministry. I want, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, by raise of hands, have been burned by the, and I'm doing this on purpose, the church? It could be any church, it could be any religion, it could be... How many of you felt you've been burned by a church? Okay. For those of you with your hands down, you will. Because we will mess up. It just happens. People are selfish and pig-headed and hypocritical sometimes. But sometimes you come to a place where you're so disillusioned with modern church, or you're so disillusioned by a particular leader, or you're so disillusioned by the abuse of, of uh, I'll just call them TV <coughs> preachers, televangelists, 
you know, who spend 75% of their time raising money and then 25% of their time actually giving something to humanity. You get disillusioned. You get disenfranchised. And if you're not from a, a deeply religious position, you have the right to say, you know what, I just don't want that anymore. I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. And a lot of people come to a place where they recognize or they feel like they're more connected to an SBNR, spiritual but not religious position, than they are saying that I am a Christian. I'm a Christian. But if you've ever felt burned by the church, here's the thing. I want to show you through God, <coughs> we're Christians, we can talk about God, and Jesus, that you're not alone. You know that Jesus and God, they know that the church is broken. They know that we mess up. In fact, if you've ever looked past, if you open up your Bible to Matthew, the first of the New Testament, the first of the Gospels, if you just flip a couple pages to the left, you're going to see all these weird prophet names and all these little tiny books. You know, almost all those prophets are calling out the church leaders because they're not acting like the church. Almost all of them are like, get in line because you are not representing God right now. This isn't anything new. In fact, I wanted to read you some really tough stuff that... Um, the prophet Amos spoke to the church at that time through God. So God told this to Amos to tell the church. In Amos chapter 5, this is a prophet. This is before the New Testament. This is before Jesus. This is the God speaking to his church leaders through a prophet. He says this. You hate the one who, re who, who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You don't like when people tell the truth. You trample on the poor and force him out to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many of your offenses and how great your sins are. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. He's not speaking to the criminal. He's speaking to his church leaders. And then skip down to, to verse 21 of Amos 5. He says this. Listen to this. He's speaking to the church leaders. He says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your gods, which you have made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond the Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. If you've ever been angry with the church, so has God. So is God. He was so mad at the church leaders, the way that they ignored the poor, the way that they, they it celebrated lies and they did not let people tell the truth, that he actually said, I hate your worship services. Not just like the worship services, I hate your songs. I hate them. Get them out of here. See, if you've ever been burned by a church that's missing the point, so has God. And I promise you, it offended him more than it ever offended any one of us. See, God knows that his church has a purpose and that sometimes it misses that purpose. But he never abolishes the church. I want to jump down into Jesus' ministry real quick. If you've ever read through the Gospels, one of the core focuses of Jesus' ministry is exposing the local church. 
He spent a majority of his ministry exposing rotten religion. They killed him, the religious leaders, because he was exposing their religion. He was exposing the hypocrisy in the church. He was exposing the self-serving leaders. He was exposing their focus on the outer rather than on the inner man. He was exposing their judgmental attitudes. He was exposing their lack of compassion and justice. He was exposing their self-made religion. And he was exposing their traditions that they were holding higher than God's word. What they wanted, they were holding higher, on a higher pedestal than what God had already spoken. And he exposed them for it to the point of them killing him. At one point, some people can't fathom this, how this peaceful sheep petting Jesus would walk into the temple and flip tables, and then he made a whip and he whipped people. I wish we had that painting on church walls. <laughs> Not the lamb one, the Caucasian Jesus with the lamb, but the one where the table's like mid-air, and then there's a whip coming back. <laughs> yeah, people, they go, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus, this guy who I've always been told is the, the, the pacifist of the Bible, why would he do that? Well, he tells us why he doesn't. Because my church was created to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. My church was supposed to be a place where people come to connect with God, and instead you've turned it into a transaction. That made Jesus so mad because they were misplacing his origin, original design for the church that he literally whipped people. Some of you were like, not my Jesus. <laughs> if you're frustrated with the hypocrisy that's been in the church, you're not alone. Jesus was frustrated with it. God said he hated it. The church is not perfect. It's not ever going to be perfect. It's never going to be a place where the church is never going to fail you. It's always going to. But see, Jesus, when he flipped those tables and he made that whip, he wasn't blowing up the church. He wasn't getting rid of the church. He was purifying the church. He was purifying its motives. He was bringing it back to what it was supposed to be. And that leads us to our last kind of question. And I believe this is the question that it all comes down to when it comes to being spiritual but not religious. Can I follow Jesus without belonging to his church? I believe it all comes down to that question. When we say we're spiritual, which means we want private faith, we want it to be just about me, what we're really saying is we don't want to be a part of his church. When we say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church, what you're saying is you've given up on his church because somebody failed you. And I get that. Some of you, the failure was huge. I mean, there was a movie that came out recently called Spotlight about a journalist exposing um, priests in the Catholic Church who, who'd been molesting boys for years, almost 100 years. And they were getting away with it, and, and they were covering it up. Well, that should make you mad. That's the kind of stuff that's being exposed and so the question comes, can I follow Jesus without belonging to his church? Because that's the big question. Here's what I want to show you today. You have, to get, you have to get over the definition of these words a little bit. Because spiritual and religious mean the same thing. They mean the same thing. They're not, you can't be spiritual and not religious unless you completely redefine the words. But let's just stick with the meanings of this. Okay, spiritual is private. Religious, public, okay, we'll stick with that. But here's the deal. What somebody who is pursuing a spiritual relationship with God, but they don't want a religious relationship with God, 
is the exact same thing that the religious leaders in Jesus' time was pursuing. But wait, Mike, they were religious. Same thing. Let me explain it to you. The religious leaders, they were whipped out of the temple because they were missing God's point. See, the church is supposed to be a place where God is the audience and where we serve each other. The religious leaders had made it a place where they were the audience, they were the most important part, and where people served them. The church is supposed to be a place of authenticity. They had made it where they put on the outside what they want to show, and they hid what was going on on the inside. The church had become a place where the religious leaders used it to fulfill their own purposes and fulfill their own plans rather than God's plans. But see, spirituality in today's America is the same thing. We want to be able to serve a God, but we don't want any boundaries to that service. We want to do it on our own terms. Really what we're saying is I want a church that's going to serve me. I want a church that's going to be built on my feelings. I want a church that's going to bow to my word. And if I don't like it, I don't have to believe it. See, that's the same exact thing that the religious leaders believed back then. They had taken God's church and they said, I want this to serve me. Well, Jesus made a whip. <laughs> he was pretty serious about that. They said, I want a church that's going to serve my plans, my purposes, and make me better. And modern-day spirituality is doing the same thing. It's saying, I want a church where I'm most important, where it's about me discovering me discovering me. I want a church that doesn't make me uncomfortable. I want a church that doesn't call me out for things I've done wrong. I want a church that doesn't expect anything of me. I want a church that's about me. Have you ever heard of the Satanic Church? It was created pretty much by a guy named Lester Crowley. And Lester Crowley actually doesn't like worship like a statue of Satan. He calls it Satanic Church to mock Christians, but they don't believe in Satan. They don't believe in anything. The only reason they created the Satanic Church was because they believed that the church was stopping people from worshiping the most important thing, which is themselves. The, the, mo the motto of the Satanic Church is do as thou wilt, which means do as you want. Don't let anybody tell you not to do what you want in this life. You are the most important. You need to find out what's true for you. You need to do what you want to do because you're the most important. That's the Satanic Church. The ones who worship the devil with the horns and the donkey and the, I don't even know what it is. Those, 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 it's all a show. The real satanic church created by Lester Crowley says, do as you want to do. That is the church. Modern day spirituality says the same thing. The religious leaders at the time, they would put strict rules on everybody else, but not on themselves. Do as you want to do. Make sure that you're the one that's lifted up in the end. Here's why this will never work, folks. I'm going to read you two passages where Jesus explains the purpose of his church. See, Jesus' church was not created for you to become more comfortable. Jesus' church was for you to serve other people. Jesus' church was not created so that you could get through life without being challenged. Jesus' church was a place where you, in community, could become transformed into the image of Jesus, who you were designed to be the image of. Jesus' church was created because you do not have it all together. Jesus' church was created because we are not perfect. Jesus' church was created because your strengths can fill my weaknesses. I wasn't supposed to be a lone ranger. I wasn't supposed to be a renaissance man. I was supposed to be able to exercise the strengths that God gave me, and then somebody else's strengths could fill where my strengths are weaknesses. I wasn't made to do this alone. In our discipleship school Uncharted, we use the idea of a puzzle piece. You know, a puzzle piece has indents and it has big bulges 
because it fits into the middle of a giant picture. And modern spirituality says, look at your puzzle piece and examine it and, and make your puzzle, your one little puzzle piece the focus. You know, zoom in at that little indent right there. Isn't it beautiful? It's not a weakness, it's a strength. Oh, look at this part where you're really good. That's awesome. Your puzzle piece is probably the greatest puzzle piece ever. Don't worry about the big picture. Don't worry about that. Hang that puzzle piece on the wall. Look at it. Examine it. Stare at it. Find deep meaning in that puzzle piece. And Jesus is saying, that puzzle piece was meant to fit in a giant fresco. That puzzle piece fits in my church. You're not supposed to be viewed all yourself. Can I tell you a secret about the Holy Spirit? And this might hurt some of you, and I apologize ahead of time. The Holy Spirit is not a personal thing. The Holy Spirit's a church thing. Meaning when the Holy Spirit fell on the church, the Holy Spirit didn't divide into a whole bunch of different people and like walk off. Like, oh, cut off another piece of the Holy Spirit, that goes to him. Cut off another piece, that goes to him. It's not some multiplying machine. The Holy Spirit fell on the church. Because the church, when we come together, we're not going to be perfect, but we fill each other. And when the church comes together, and when my strengths fill your weaknesses, and your weaknesses fill my strengths, and when I'm struggling, you help me, and when you're struggling, I help you. When my life is not all about me, but it's about you, we start to get it, and we start to get the church. When, when, it, when the arrow and the focus and the magnifying glass is no longer on me anymore, I'm starting to get it. Because once you take the focus off of you, you get to focus on Jesus, and you get to focus on the church. It's not all about you. That's why people hate the church. A lot of people are mad at the church because they wanted it to be all about them. And they said, I'm sorry, but together we, we are the picture of Jesus. We are not the picture of Jesus by ourselves. You weren't created to be. Which means you're going to have to deal with people being selfish. You're going to have to deal with people being hypocrites. You're going to have to deal with people because we're all trying to figure it out. But piece by piece, History has shown us, and it's still happening today, people are taking their whole identity, that puzzle piece that God gave them, and they're saying, you know what, I want to be a part of God's picture, and they're putting it in there. And then the community gets a better picture of what it looks like to be Jesus. And then another person says, you know what, I don't have it all together. I've been lying this whole time. In fact, I have weaknesses, and I need your help. And they put their identity and their puzzle piece and everything they are into the church, into the picture, and the community is getting a better look at what the church can be. That's why televangelists get a bad name, because they say, this is the church. <laughs> and the world goes, I don't like that. And it's like, well, you're not, you don't have to like it. That's not the church. That's one little tiny puzzle piece of the church. He just put a camera on himself and bought all the networks. And so now he says, I'm the church. And that's why people are mad at the church. We're not supposed to do it alone. Jesus said this in John 1, or in, first, or in John chapter 17, his last prayer with his disciples before he died on the cross. He said, as he was praying to God, he said, I in them and you in me, may, be they, may, may they be brought to complete unity and let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He said, the world's going to know them because you are going to bring them together. Unity. They're going to see these men, these disciples, and they're going to be a picture of me when they're together. The Apostle Paul continues his thought in 1 Corinthians. He says, Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. See, we were designed, the church was designed as many parts come together and they create one picture. So you ask that question again. Can you be a Christian and not be a part of the church? Can you follow Jesus? Let's bring it down to brass tacks. Can you follow Jesus and not be a part of his church? I would say no. I would say it won't work. I would say you can try it and people try it. But I would say it would not work. And the reason I would say that is because you are not strong enough. You are not strong enough. You are not strong enough because God didn't make you strong enough. And God didn't make you strong enough because he wanted you to come together with others to become the church. If he made all of us five-star players, we would not need the church because we would all be enough. And we're not enough. We're not enough. We are his body. And so I just want to ask you, if you've been considering yourself spiritual but unwilling to take the grasp of saying that you're religious, I totally understand where you're coming from. I've been there. If you need a little time in your journey, I totally understand. If you have some bitterness or some places that you need to forgive another church or another religion or another leader who's manipulated, wronged you, served himself instead of served you, I understand. And I'll be praying for you as you go through that process of forgiveness. But don't give up on Jesus' church. It will not work any other way. We were made for each other. And how we love and serve each other is the biggest message to the world, more than our words, more than our actions, more than our billboards, more than our picket signs. What people really recognize is when the church loves each other. And they go, okay, that's weird. That's different. Why do they love each other like family? Why do they serve each other? Why did he just give him money? This doesn't make any sense any other way. We weren't created to be alone. So that's my challenge to you. If you've been seeing your life as a puzzle piece, and you've been wondering why your puzzle piece isn't as exciting as it used to be, it's because your puzzle piece needs to be in the big picture of the church. And this is the church. Give Jesus' church a chance. I promise we'll fail. Just get that right off the table. In fact, I apologize for failing you. There, we already got the first apology out of the way. Whew, feels good, doesn't it? Freeze us up, okay? Give Jesus' church a chance. It won't work any other way. That was the framework and the vehicle that God chose to change the world, is his church.